0: What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to sensorina.com to check it all out.
1: On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on the man, the myth, the legend, David Laszlo, uh, who probably appreciates that comment. It's been a while since we've probably had that uh, comment.
2: Yeah. So in, in Finnish, uh, Legend Daddy was uh, was used a couple of times uh, eight or 10 years ago by a couple of my classmates. So that was kind of fun, mostly because of the gray hair, but that's beside the point.
1: So you got some classmates here. So uh, yeah, let's, let's get into that. So originally from North America and you're now coaching and working over in Finland. Uh, And you took some classes over there. So uh, you might give us maybe a 30 second backstory
2: here. So that's actually how this whole journey started was uh, there's a program in Lati, Finland called uh, Hagahelia. Uh, So it's on the Verimaki campus and I'm totally butchering the the Finnish town names uh, because my pronunciation is awful. Um, But it's a, a three year, three and a half year program. And it's for uh, sports coaches, uh, sports management, and um, several of the coaches that go through that end up in the pro ranks. Uh, so right now, one of my uh, classmates, he played uh, Finland U18, won a world championship back in the day. Um, he's now married, kids of his own, but he's the the Latte Pelicans uh, U20 coach, and will be working with the the Pelicans pro team on a regular basis. And like I said, he's a, he's a classmate. So we keep in touch and, and we keep on um, sharing ideas, which is what this is all about. So it's cool to be on these podcasts and continue to share ideas with different audiences. So I appreciate the invite.
1: Absolutely. Uh, And I would put you in the forward thinker uh, category, Uh, (laughs) really pushing the edge and trying different things and, and not just talking about it, but actually doing it, which is really cool. So I'm curious, what are maybe some of these ideas that you're sharing with others that you feel very strongly and very passionately about?
2: I remember when um, I was first invited to USA Hockey National Camps as a as a team leader. Um, so other guys are coaching, they're junior coaches, they're college coaches. And one of the rules that uh, USA Hockey had, uh, had put into their national camps as a test was no icing during penalty kill. So you're still allowed to ice the puck, but now it's a whistle, no line change and a defensive zone face-off. And when they explained to me the reasoning why that just kind of opened up my brain to say, Hey, what, why do we have the rules that we have? Um, what are we trying to, to accomplish with these rules? What, what constraints are we really trying to build into it? So if we take out uh, the ability to ice the puck on penalty kill, we force the kids to have to make other decisions. And again, I'm, I'm in a desperate situation. I'm trapped in my own zone for 30 or 40 seconds. Yeah. I'm going to ice the puck and try and get, get some, some wind in my lungs. Uh, But that started me, you know, 10 years ago, I didn't allow my, my then Bantam hockey team to ice the puck on penalty kill. And all the parents thought I was absolutely crazy. And I said, but wait a second, we're a double A hockey team. We're not triple A. We're not, you know, trying to win every single hockey game out there known to man. What can we do to better develop these kids? What constraints can we give them that force them to see the game a little bit differently? So that was actually one of the first things that I really started with was we don't ice the puck on penalty kill. We don't dump the puck. Uh, we we want to control the puck. We want to regroup rather than um, just throw the puck in and go for a line change. And, and one of the things I want to be careful about saying, and I already kind of hinted at it. There are times to dump the puck. There are times to ice the puck. There are times to break the rules of the constraints so that we can accomplish something else. I don't believe in, in this dichotomy of you either do this or you do that and that's it. No, there's times to do all of it. Um, So, like I said, the, the idea of, of USA hockey saying, Hey, we're going to change these rules because we want kids to see the game differently started opening things up for me and, and made me really, really think about what am I doing in practice to help these kids see the game differently? So that's, that's kind of how that all started. And that comes up now. Now you're going to ask me about these, these fabled uh, colored pucks that I have.
1: Well, I want to start by saying, you know, why is it important? Um, and, and for me, I think it's because the environment is the strongest incentive. You know, your environment shapes you more than anything else. So I'm assuming that's why you feel so strongly about implementing these um, constraints on your players, we'll say, or rules on your players that, yes. you know, they can break every once in a while and that's okay. But for the most part, you're trying to open their minds. You're trying to challenge them to find solutions. And exactly. the environment is going to be the one that is most powerful at doing that.
2: So if, if we were to just create a, what, what's called a closed drill, there's there's one solution to this drill um, and, and you draw it up on the board and they have to go this direction and then that direction and move the puck here and then get the puck from there. They're not thinking about why they're doing any of that. They're just going into this thing and, and they, they might be really, really good practice players, but the game is so chaotic that what have you actually taught them? So in a closed drill, what I try to make sure that I do, if I have a closed drill, there's always a, a an explicit reason for this drill. Um, I am trying to teach the habit of opening up to the puck in the defensive zone so we can catch a pass. So I might do that as a closed drill for two or three months, and then I try to open up that drill so that the kids know that there's more than one way to open up. There's more than one reason to open up. There's more than one place. To open up so that they can catch passes. So now I'm ingraining the habit within the context of the bigger game. So there's reasons for closed drills. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about technique um, and you can learn technique by doing the technique over and over and over again. But the skill is when do I use that technique? Where do I use that technique? Is that the absolute optimum technique to use in this situation? Well, how do you get them to have those, those answers? You create the environments that make them allow or allow them to have more than one solution. And then you start asking the questions when they're back in line, ready to go for their next rep. Hey, what'd you see there? What, what were you thinking in that situation? You know, you, you chose to move the puck there. Did you have other things that you could have done? Were you thinking about them? Did you see anything? And I think uh, seeing is is one of the biggest things that we can teach our 11, 12, 13, and 14-year-olds. Get information. Use your eyes and get as much information as you can.
1: Well, thank you so much uh, for bringing it up because we actually wrote a Hockey IQ newsletter on the best question in hockey, which was, uh, what did you see? Exactly. So I, I think I think you're actually spot on because that the answer that that kid gives you is actually gold. It tells you so much information about where they are, you know, because we we have all these coaches and, you know, I'm guilty of everything in the rule book. I just hopefully (laughs) have uh, moved on it faster than others. Um, You know, it's trying to understand where they are, not where you want them to be or where you think they are. Like you truly need to understand where they are in the process. Is it because they didn't take a look, their body orientation to the play was off, They saw it, but they didn't have the depth of knowledge. Did they see it? It was just poor execution. Okay, maybe it's a technique we need to work on, where that may be. So I I think that's the key. Um, I, I mean, you just skipped over a lot of good stuff that we should probably dig into at some point, but I would love to continue down this track of just like the power of question asking, the power of trying to understand the player where they are so we can best help
2: them to that next step. And, and we're actually talking about where they are on multiple levels. We can go right down to the physical level. You were here on the ice. I was way over there watching this. I wasn't where you were. So when you ask them what they see, it's an honest question because you're, you're asking them, I don't know the answer to this because I was way over there. And during a game, I was way over there standing on a bench. I wasn't even on the ice. So I have a completely different perspective on this. You were in the game. You had pressure. You had, you know, the referee happened to be standing in that location, which we don't practice How often do we practice where the referee is going to stand? You know, and how many times do the referees quote, get in the way? Well, they're never in the way because they're part of the ice surface. We just never put that constraint in there into a practice situation to say, you know, you have to skate around me. I'm part of the ice surface. I'm going to stand here and call whether that's a goal or no goal. So you want me to move, I'm going to miss that call. So we're talking to the kids about physically where they are, as well as all of these other things of, of emotionally and, and and cognitively, are they aware of all of these other things going on? Uh, one of my really good friends, Ted Suikinen, is is always talking about he, and he works with pro athletes, so they're, they're more in tune to this. But how does your body feel when you are doing this skill, when you are doing that technique? Because me as a coach, I don't want any of my players skating the way I skate. Because I have my body, and it's old and broken down and, and going through all of those things. Um, but I don't want a 12-year-old copying my skating technique. I wanna put the 12 year old into a, an environment, into a constraint, into a skating drill where they have to figure out how their body feels when they're trying to control their inside edge, when they're trying to, to transition from forward to backward, when they have to do a, um, a one foot stop skating backward and immediately launch forward. If I do it and I show them how I do it every single time we do these, these drills, they're going to start copying me and then we're going to have a bunch of really ugly skaters out there. And, and that's absolutely what I don't want. I've got really, really good skaters that I have quote taught to skate not by demonstrating for them, but by putting them in these environments where they have to turn to the left in order to solve this problem. And they have to turn to the left really, really tight or they have to turn to the left really loosely, or they have to turn to the left on just their outside edge. And if we keep putting them into these environments, they they figure out, this is how it feels for me to be on this edge, for me to turn like this. This is not how it feels for my coach. This is how it feels for me. And then we get them to explain that to us. This is what I saw. This is why I decided to turn this way. Um, this is what it felt like. You know, what does it feel like when you fall? Does it feel like your your skate edge is totally gone? That's a different feeling than, um, my, my body control was off. My balance was off. Uh, is this a skate sharpening issue when I get to go talk to the, to the team, uh, um, equipment manager, or is this a, a physical issue? I don't have the strength in my glutes to hold that position, or is this a technical issue? I've never learned how to use my outside edge.
1: And the outside edge is is something that is uh, woefully underdeveloped in many kids. I'm I'm curious about how do you force them to get on that outside edge? Because you have a tight turn. I almost can guarantee that a player is going to use the inside edge for their outside leg. Maybe if it's a looser turn, they may choose differently. But how do you really force them into that?
2: Uh, now we're going to go back to deliberate practice, and we're going to go back to closed drills. and And so, I have some skating warm up drills that I have stolen from. Uh, there's a, a a Russian coach in Detroit by the name of Anatoly Buliga. Uh, and he played um, back for. Um, he was a '78 born, I believe, and and one of those uh, Soviet era coaches. That this is the only way you do it, um, and uh, Nancy Burgraf, she's uh, she was a, a Dakota skating coach, uh, Laura Stam, and there's a whole bunch of of these these people who have just you know here's the uh, the drills to use, and so we I go through a whole series of drills, and one of the drills I do is a um, outside edge turn, but you're not allowed to cross over. So it's figure skating. I'm gonna outside edge, and then I have to actually stand up and de weight my edges. And then I apply the opposite outside edge to go the other direction. And because it's not crossovers, they're they're thinking about actually, or they have to think about holding the edge rather than just getting the power out of the crossover. Cause I can quickly push the outside edge and then and then step to my inside edge. And that goes with backward skating as well. Um, there's so much power to be gained off of that outside edge. If you just know how to control it. And that's from, uh, from Nancy Berggraf. Um, and then from Anatoly Buliga, we, I, I learned to do a lot of two foot uh, skiing rather than just the one foot slalom skiing, uh, that, that we all do with, you know, pick your, pick your right foot up. And now on your left foot, go all the way down the ice, um, inside, outside, inside, outside. And I which, which
1: I, I challenge players to do when I'm trying to like get a feel for where their skill sets are. And exactly. every time it doesn't matter what level, it can be triple A even and, yes. a, and definitely uh, under 50% are able to actually do it.
2: So there's Nancy's book. Um, so you can put that into your notes for, for anybody who is, who is interested. Uh, so what Anatoly Buliga taught me is try to do doing the same thing, but with two feet, And your feet as close together as possible. So your skates are basically touching. And so now you're learning this rather than learning this, which you can get away with this and barely get onto that. But with this, now you're actually getting on those edges. And what you'll see is the kids who are more comfortable are able to get their feet together closer. The kids who are less comfortable will use their inside edge of one foot and their glide glides you know the the both edges the glide face on the other foot so the more you can get them to get their feet together the more they have to tip over and then we'll actually jump and so i'm going uh, two feet on you know on my right side i jump in the air and i have to land two feet on my left side when well, i have to land on my outside edge and and again this is all figure skating type of things um I, I talk with my boss here about, you know, what is power skating? It's just a term that was, was created by, by people like Laura Stam and Nancy and, and, Robbie glance and, and really good skating coaches to, to say, look, it's, it's a little bit more than technical skating. And it's definitely not figure skating, even though Laura is famous for wearing her figure skates on the ice and teaching guys how to skate. Uh, Schmushkin up in Toronto, Great Russian figure skating coach who taught a lot of hockey players how to skate. Um, but it's really fascinating to put them into these situations where they have to get onto that edge. Uh, and then they feel comfortable doing it. And the more comfortable they do it, the more likely it's going to happen in game situations. So now we have to figure out how to put those game situations into practice that force them onto that outside edge or that force them onto um, pivoting and, and holding that edge really, really nicely.
1: And I I think the key that we've been talking about is yes, there's a technique to it, but as you mentioned, it's very personalized to what works for you and your body and how it currently is at or, maybe you do need some serious gym work to help reprogram that. Like I had a player one year and I'm yeah. like, this is just your, your body just does not move correctly. Like <laughs> exactly. like basically a year of off ice just to get you to a point where, okay, now we can start attacking other issues and truly make you into hockey players. Like, I'm like, your, your development may not go very linear. Like you need a, basically a full year of training. Exactly. So he did it and he actually did the work. And I was so excited to get him the next year. And then he just thought that because he did that, um, that boom, everything was going to be solved. And he was going to be a wonderful hockey player and take over the world. <laughs> exactly. That wasn't, that wasn't to be the case. So I, apparently I did a terrible job of explaining how long this process truly was.
2: But for that moment, he became a better athlete and isn't that 100%. Fun? Yeah. So, so now when he gets to be my age, you know, he's, he doesn't have these issues or those issues because you taught him how to be a better athlete which is going to last longer than teaching them how to be a better hockey player. So, so, you know, cheers to you for, for recognizing that there was a movement issue. There was a, a, a strength issue, a coordination issue, rather than just a hockey issue. Cause a lot of hockey coaches would just say, Oh, we're going to work on skating more.
1: Yeah, that was, that was not the issue. It was not the skating technique, <laughs> <laughs> but um I, But going back to that, like the idea of feel learning, like I I think that I I see a lot of hockey people out there. Like I don't want to name names because some of them are very much out there in the public eye. But it's, you know, you, you move your hand just a little bit really hard. Like that's the key. I'm like, well, that's great. And maybe you like say that but you keep going back to the well year after year. and I've seen your work from 20 years ago and it's pretty much the same as it is today. Like there are some, some truths, but the same point, like at what point should you evolve beyond here's how the technique should operate to how can we make this feel to the athlete? And, and the prime example I like to use is with skating. because I, I feel like it's the easiest of like, I don't care how you like for, for posture, like, You should be in an upright position. It needs to be this angle and your shin. My whole thing is, okay, take your laces down one or two, whatever feels comfortable or, you know, not super awkward that you feel like you're going to break your ankle. And then I just want you to feel like your upper body is stacked on top of your lower body. And it's amazing. You can literally do it within one drill, like literally 30 seconds later, have them do like a snake down the ice and then tell them, here's what I'm looking for you to do. Just stack your weight, feel like you've got a strong base and your upper body is truly on top of your lower body. And just like the feel, especially the kids who really feel through their athletic movements and through the game it's night and day and it's so fast. And I think that's kind of the shortcut rather than saying, Oh, we need more lean, really feel like you're getting here. you know, whatever it
2: is. That's you just put a light bulb into my head because I'm trying to do all of this in a foreign language. Um, I'm, I'm working with kids who speak Finnish or Swedish and I don't have all of the vocabulary, but I can get those key vocabulary terms like, stacking your body and, and making sure that you feel centered, um, that you feel like you're over your skates rather than, um, you know, leaning forward or, or all of those things. Uh, so that, that's really fascinating. And, and so, I mean, the, the idea of the feel is, is also, Hey, when you're, you're turning, coming out of this, uh, corner, do you feel where the rest of the game is? Do you see what's going on around you more than just, you know, and again, we talked about eyes, which are, are incredibly important, but there is a sense of the game beyond our eyes. Um, we gather the information and then the moment we step away from, you know, we, we skate one stride, the, the information has changed. So there needs to be kind of a, a, a pattern recognition, but, but from a chaotic standpoint. I recognize that this is where these guys most likely are going. So I want to make the play here. I want to put the puck there. Um, the the um, I guess Austin Matthews scored a, a couple of really incredible goals that Hockey Think Tank just posted. Um, that that feeling of being in the slot and being ready to shoot the puck. How do you develop that in these kids? How do you put them into these situations where um, I need to know when I'm off balance, how to quickly, or, or not in perfect balance for this shot, how to quickly get the shot off anyway. Uh, so it's it's figuring out the analogies, it's figuring out, and that's what's great about stacking. Stacking is an analogy. Um, you know, I'm thinking about boxes and I'm like, okay, well, my, my shins are a box and my, my thighs are a box and my glutes are kind of this connecting box between my thighs and my stomach. Uh, so my core is a box. How do I stack all of these boxes so that I have a good weight distribution so that I feel powerful on the ice? Yeah. Well, that puts an image into my head and it's the same image I want to okay. give the kids when we're playing the game also. Is is how do I give them these these ideas of of the patterns where players are moving to? Um, this is fascinating, and we we could dive down six rabbit holes on this one. And
1: I, I like where you, you took this because it's how do you bring something to the consciousness? Like that's kind of coaching. It's like bringing yeah. a focus and something to the surface for players to think about. Um, Which is great. But I think many people forget about the second part, which you're talking about, like developing a feel, which really just means that we're pushing things to the subconscious level where it's just automation, it's habits, it's, you already know where to look, you already know, maybe what the key bits of information are, because you've trained your eyes, you've trained your mind to look into certain areas to collect certain information. And it's no longer something you're very conscious about, but subconscious. It's like, I think that in itself is is a fascinating idea of how do we sink things back down once we bubble them up.
2: I've, uh, the, the program where I work, we have what we call a talent group and, and it's basically, it's an, it's an invite only, uh, multi-age group practice once a week. Um, and, and we invite kids from U thirteen to U fifteen, um, so that's fourteen U thirteen U twelve U. Is that right? U fifteen is fourteen U. I think so. And and when I run some of those practices, the kids actually complain that they have to think too much. Can we do something simple? You you know, and that's actually the you know that that will be the colored puck story. Um, it's a compliment, really. It it is. Uh, they come off of my practices and they are brain tired in addition to being body tired. And, and I feel really good about that. I'm like, okay, I, I, I actually taxed them on, on more than just the sweat factor. They had to think in the practice. Um, So we'll, uh, we have a games day um, for this group and, and I'll just play three on three cross ice three on three, and then just start throwing rule after rule after rule. Onto the three-on-three on three game. Um, we'll play the Royal Road game. So we're playing three-on-three, three and you have to make a pass across the uh, the Royal Road before you can score. Otherwise, it doesn't count. Um, you can still shoot and score. It's just worth zero instead of worth one. Um, then we'll add the, the high-man game. And so now you have to have one player uh, above the middle of the ice. Um, and then we'll add the high-man game and the Royal Road game. And then we'll add the high man game and the Royal road game. And now it has to be a one-timer and we'll just keep building, building, building. And then, um, and this is where the colored pucks come in. Each of the the pucks colors is a rule. So whatever color your puck you have, that's the rule of the game. And you can put that in addition to other rules you have, um, or you can just make that its own thing. So when we play the colored pucks game, orange puck flies out there and orange is uh, 99 Wayne Gretzky, Edmonton Oilers. And you got to set up in Gretzky's office before you can score. And I don't care which player sets up in in Gretzky's office. I just care that the puck is played out of Gretzky's office. Um, And that's actually one of my little um, uh, idiosyncrasies is when I do games with jokers, I want the jokers to be able to rotate. I don't want it to be one static player who stands behind the goal because that doesn't happen in the game. So we have anybody who can stand behind the goal. There just has to be somebody making a play from behind the goal because that's how Gretzky did it. Um, So they play with the Gretzky puck, and they either score, the puck goes out of play, or the goalie freezes it, and I throw in the red puck. Well, the red puck is Washington Capitals. That's Ovechkin. We're going to take one-timers. Uh, so the only way you can score with the red puck is if it's off of a one-timer and that includes catch and shoot. As long as you don't stick handle, as long as you don't hold on to the puck and skate with the puck, it counts. So maybe we're playing a regular three on three game and we throw these colored pucks out there. And now the kid shifts from a black puck, which is just regular three on three to, oh no, uh, orange. What does that mean? Oh, uh, oh, we got to go behind the net and we got to set up an offensive play. And that changes the way they have to think about the game. And and then that puck is out and we throw another black puck in there. And what happens? They make another play from behind the net. Well, there wasn't an orange puck. They didn't have to do it, but they saw that this was a good play to do. So they did it anyway. And again, you can stack these on top of other rules. So we're playing the Royal road game and the orange puck goes out there and the red puck goes out there. Well, it's Royal road, but it has to be a one-timer. So I can't just skate the puck over the Royal road and then shoot it. I got to set up a one-timer. Well, how do you set up a one-timer? Is it just the guy who's taking the shot? Does the guy with the puck have any responsibility for setting up a one-timer? I got to take that puck into a good passing lane so that that guy over there can skate into it and get the shot off. So it's all of these different levels and levels and levels. And then the kids are looking at me going, can we just play a straight three on three, please? No rules, just let us play. You're, well, you're making me think too much, and I'm like, you're welcome. Yes, of course you can. Let's go. Yeah.
1: Um, and, and I, I would like to just throw it out there to uh, all of the coaches that are listening. Uh, if you decide to contact Mike Benelli and buy some colored pucks in the states here or Canada. That uh, you shouldn't just start with three different colored pucks and playing three on three with three different rules. You should probably start with one puck and build up the game. One, it'll be easier for the kids to remember. Two, it'll be much quicker. You don't have to diagram everything. You just attach the rule to the different puck. One at a time, we can all follow along, get a little bit of familiarity, and then we can build to the next complexity rather than uh, just jumping into the complexity. So I'll I'll throw that out there, number one. Um, And then the second piece that I really enjoyed what you're doing um, is the vocabulary and how you strategically attach the vocabulary to be memorable. Like red equals capitals, which equals Ovechkin, which equals one time. Like we can all remember, okay, red is ov, which means one timers. If you just exactly. said red is one timers, that's going to be very difficult, uh, especially if you're having you know three or four different colored pucks to remember that. Oh, what is Correct. red again? Yeah. So I think that is a very powerful thing: is you attach the story or something of meaning to that color that makes it memorable. So I, I think that's another key component that I want to make sure that uh, everyone remembers from our conversation here is vocabulary does matter, and it's how we can help. Uh, drive the learning
2: and, and players uh, are athletes. They want stories. So if you give them the story of Ovechkin, they will more quickly attach themselves to that. And they'll more quickly understand that. Um, a lot of my drills have really stupid names and it's because there's a story now and the kids know what the story is so that they know what the drill is. Uh, for example, one of my goalie coaches, he, he was creating a drill and for whatever reason, one of those stupid songs was on the radio when he was creating the drill and he named the drill Baby Shark. Exactly. And it's the worst and I absolutely hate it. Oh, uh, uh, I mean, every parent right now is rolling
1: their eyes, by the way.
2: Exactly. But when I say Baby Shark to a bunch of Finnish hockey players or Norwegian hockey players, or Swedish hockey players, all I have to do is say Baby Shark, and they know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's, it, it takes zero setup now. Guys, we're doing Baby Shark two-on-one. They know exactly what that means. There's no setup time. There's no diagramming. They just go right into it. And just like you said, we didn't start with, okay, guys, we're doing Baby Shark two-on-one, go. We started with Okay, guys, let me tell you about baby shark. Baby shark is the idea of we're going to drive down the middle of the ice. We're going to kick the puck wide. And then where do I go after the puck is kicked wide? And how does the goalie move to adjust to this two-on-one? Or it started as a 2 on zero To adjust to this 2 on zero. The, the puck is wide. So the goalie has to be on his post or near you know that area of the crease. And there's going to be a pass coming back or there's going to be a shot and a rebound, or there's going to be this guy driving to the near post. And how does the goalie make the play based on these different components? Um, and then it built and built and built. And now I can just call out baby shark. And the kids already have that story in their head. They know that we're driving the middle of the ice. They know that there's defenders on us taking away the middle. Cause that's what defenders are supposed to do. And so we're going to kick the puck wide and maybe it's wide left. Maybe it's wide, right. It depends on, on all of the different things and and so you you give them these these stories and that they can attach to these stories Ovechkin uh some stupid song on the radio uh some some great coach uh or or other great player um a lot of my a lot of my drills are are named by other people um or for other people so Erika Westerlund is a very famous uh finnish national team coach I, I call out Westerland and the kids say, which one, because I got 47 different versions of Westerland, but they all have the same, uh, basic start pattern. So
1: and it's, it's fascinating because, you know, when, when they talk about memory, memory champions, like how do they actually remember all of these things? Like they're yeah. just creating stories like this and that and this and that. the the stories we tell ourselves are the cheat code to memory. So it's like, you know, you think about how do we create stories, whether it be like nicknames, and if if you look deep enough, you see it everywhere
2: in society. Right. And, and how much attention do I need the kids to give me in order to get a drill started? The less attention I take to get a drill started, the more attention the kids can put to doing the drill, to doing whatever it is they're doing. So I don't want to take the focus away from, what it is we're trying to do. I want them to be able to put all of their concentration into how am I going to solve this solution or solve this problem? Sorry. You know, how am I going to do this drill? How am I going to execute this turn or that play? Uh, Johnny phone booth named after Johnny Goudreau, because he could skate in and out of a phone booth and nobody can catch him. Um, So the kids all know I'm talking about tight turns, but, and, and tight turns near the boards and, and with people on you and all of those kind of things. All I have to do is say Johnny phone booth, and they can put their attention to how am I going to turn? How am I going to make this play coming out of the turn? How am I going to protect the puck? What do I do if the defender is, has a stick here instead of there? I did not take any of their attention away by having to go through what the drill is.
1: Yeah, you want to conserve that mental energy. So exactly,
2: because I'm, I'm going be, be, be to be. Made. Too many, and and most of them are, are wrong, in our view. But if the solution works, is it really wrong? Well,
1: well, now you're talking about coaching process versus coaching results, and yes. that's that's a whole that's an hour episode in itself. <laughs> are we coaching Absolutely. the input, or are we coaching the output? Uh, and coaching the input. We, we all obviously know, and definitely in this room that that is, that is the key.
2: Uh, um, it, it hurts so much when the kid scores the goal from the really, really bad angle. And, and he comes back to the bench with a huge smile on his face. And all you can say is good job. What, what, what else did you see? <laughs> well, I scored. Yeah. But did you see that Billy was in front of the net wide open with his stick on the ice on the back door? You could have just tapped it in. Yeah, but I scored. Good job. You scored. Nice, nice play. Nice play. Good way to solve that, that, that problem, buddy. Did you have your eyes up? Ah, Too funny, fun but um, yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I want to, I want to dive into more decisions, like when to pick a, pick a position. You know, when should that happen?
2: I have uh, in Finland, in this, in this wonderful country of, of producing really, really good high level players, I have 13 and 14 year olds that have only played one position all their life. And and they they haven't but in their opinion they have. Uh we we play cross ice hockey um through you know U9 U10 U11 there's a lot of cross ice hockey so you should be mixing forward defense just naturally in cross ice hockey. Uh but are we actually teaching them what is your responsibility when you're in this position? And one of the things I like about the Finnish Association is there's there's roles. I'm the guy with the puck, I'm one of the guys without the puck. So when we're on offense, I'm one of these two roles. I'm the defender on the puck. I'm the defender away from the puck. I'm guarding one of those guys or I'm guarding space or or whatever. So we've actually really refocused this year and going into next year on making sure that the kids understand the responsibilities of being here on the ice. If I'm here on the ice and the, pl- and the puck is there, then I have this responsibility, either offensively or defensively. I'm saying all of this because when I get these kids at 13 years old and they say they've never played defense before, I know that actually they have. They've just never lined up for a face-off in the defensive position. When does this get taught?
1: Is, is this something that is an off-ice curriculum or is this something just naturally that happens through the system, uh, the, the roles and understanding the different responsibilities? Is that something that's taught off-ice very specifically?
2: I, I'm doing it this year. I'm doing it on ice and off-ice and it's very intentional and very specific. Um, off-ice, we do it in the locker room. We're talking about, uh, you know, the uh, a Johnny phone booth, drill is, uh, two tight turns in the corner, uh, make a pass and escape the corner and, and get the shot off. Okay. So Johnny is roll one. Johnny has the puck. What's Johnny's responsibility. So Johnny's first responsibility is to try and score a goal. Cause that's the first thing we want to do with the puck is we want to score a goal. Johnny's second responsibility. If he cannot do Johnny's first responsibility is to um, make time and space. So I can't go to the net and score this goal. So I'm going to go over to that area and create time and space. And we talk through all of this and we work on this and we, and we will stop a drill with a kid and and pull them out and let the drill go on with other kids. And we pull them out and say, look, you weren't able to get to the net. So what do you need to do there? Well, I need to protect the puck and I need to f- create time and space. Okay, good. You just repeated my words back to me that I've been saying over and over again. What are you creating time and space for? Oh, well, I'm hoping that a teammate can get into a good position so that I can get them the puck so that they can score a goal. I'm like, ah, now we're processing all of this. Okay, now let's do this in reverse. You're the teammate, your buddy's in the corner. He can't get to the net. What do you need to do? You're role two. You're the guy without the puck and we're on offense. What do you need to do? Well, I need to get to a place where I can, I can score a goal. Okay. Well, that's good, but where's the puck? Oh, I need to get to a place where the guy with the puck can get me the puck to, so that I can score a goal. Okay, good. Now we're processing all of this. Now we're thinking about this. What if he loses the puck? Oh, well, I need to be ready to play defense. Okay. So if you're below the goal line, hoping he can get you the puck, are you ready to play defense? Oh, I should be in front of the goal. I should, you know, and then you start creating F1, F2, F3, you create triangles, you get all your support. And all of this is done through, through the practices, through the different drills that we do. We have to break our drills down here and say, this is teaching this aspect of the game. This is teaching that aspect of the game. We're working on roll three today. We're working on pressuring the puck as a defenseman, as a defensive player. Um, but we're doing it in the offensive zone, so it's for checking. But I'm a defensive player because we don't have the puck. But I'm in the offensive zone trying to win the puck back. Should I be on the offensive side of the play? Should I be on the defensive side of the play? So this is this whole process that goes through and it's developed and developed and developed. And then through this, I start putting players at different positions during faceoffs. And now I've got a kid who I understand the role of a defensive player in this situation. And I'm standing here on the faceoff. So my general responsibilities for this shift or this game are these types of responsibilities. But when I have the puck, guess what my first job is? Go score a goal. Sounds like so, a lot of fun. It can be. And again, it goes back to, it's confusing. It's, it's brain taxing. Um,
1: You want want to break a mental sweat is what I'm understanding.
2: Exactly. And so my, uh, my age groups, I'm 13 and 14 age groups, 12, 12, 13, 14 age groups. We work with two players at a time working together and three players at a time working together. So F1 and F2, F1, F2, F3. We really, I, I barely get into F4 and F5 as a group. I might talk about um, the defenseman, the, the weak side defenseman jumping up into the play, but I make sure that there's only one or two other players involved in that drill when I do it. Because because five is, is a lot of confusion. Am I this guy or are you that guy? So we just break that down a little bit more. So two on one rush with the defenseman jumping up late into the play. So now it's a three on one. Well, that means we're kicking the, you know, if I don't have the middle, I'm kicking the puck wide. I'm going near post. Why am I going near post? Because I got my defenseman jumping up into the play into that high slot area. So if I go near post, I can screen the goalie. I can get rebounds. I can uh, deflect pucks. I can be in a, in a good, um, area to to help us score goals because I got that guy coming in late and he's coming into that high area. So that's how we teach the defenseman to come into the high area. And then we'll do the same drill but now it's three forwards. Well, F1 and F2 are doing the exact same thing. Where is F3 going? He's going back door. Why? Because he knows F2 is going front door. F2 is going to the, to the goalie to to mask the goalie, screen the goalie, and Our defenseman's coming up high. So if I delay too much and I'm in high, I'm taking somebody else's space. I'm in the wrong role. I'm in the wrong position for this play. So first you build F1, F2, F3, then you build F1, F2, F4. And I actually saw in a game in a couple weeks ago, so late in the season, we had a very perfect F1, F2, F3, F4 rush coming into the offensive zone. And the puck went to F4. Who shot the puck through the screen, hit the goalie, F3, had the rebound goal.
1: Yeah. And it was just the uh, the, the late ice is where it is. And the power, like on a zone entry, like, you know, what's the most important thing? Getting depth. Doesn't matter who gets it, someone's got to get it, whether the puck off the puck, et cetera. So you're opening the options available. It's super powerful.
2: So we, we talk and I know I'm kind of dancing around the the question that you had, but we talk about width and we talk about depth and we talk about, uh, spacing and we talk about triangles. And then when I put a kid at defense for, like I said, a a game or a week or, or a month, yeah, they're scared because they don't want to get beat skating backwards on a one-on-one. But I talk about the fact that, Hey, we pressure skating forward and we have F3 in the high high zone so he his job is to help you out if you if you mess up so don't worry about it you got your support um, oh and by the way when you get the puck go score goals um, all of those kind of things and and so I've actually been able to convert kids who have never played defense into kids who like playing defense um, and then the reverse is also true I've got I've got a, a really really talented 13 year old as a defenseman, that wasn't comfortable being up in the offensive play. Well, how do you change that? Hey, buddy, you're playing wing today. Oh, I, I, I don't play wing. I, I play defense. Yeah, I know. Go play wing. Just remember to be F3. And, and, and when, when Johnny, who never plays defense, goes too far into the zone, I know I can trust you because you're going to be back there and you know what to do. But I want you to try and score goals. I want you to try and forecheck. I want you to be in the offensive corners. I want you to feel what that's like. And and I'm I'm a huge fan right now of Colorado and Tampa Bay and the style of hockey that they play. And you look at how offensive-minded their defensemen are. It's it's such beautiful hockey to think about. It 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 reminds me of of the the 1960s 1970s Red Army teams that used to come over, and you didn't know what position Fatisov was really playing.
1: It's it's funny. Uh, I I love clipping any NHL video, I uh, can't say I catch them all, but for the most part, um, just basically, you know, I, I love D to D passes. And it's because two defensemen crash down into the offensive zone off the blue line, yeah. you got these wingers that are playing zone and they're still like hanging up above the hash marks and you got these two D right at the net going D to D pass. Yeah. It's hilarious. I, I just it's absolutely beautiful. love it. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I remember the story of Rasmus Dahlin, Correct. And the fact that he really didn't have a full time position until his draft year, the year before his draft year. Like he played he, up till was, at yeah. least 15. I know that Correct. for sure. Yep. Playing pretty much
2: everything. And what's cool is up until 15, um, he played for his town team outside of, of Gothenburg, Sweden. He didn't join Frolanda until U16 hockey. And, and that's the way that the, the Swedish system basically works is you, we want you to, to play at the rink that is closest to where you live for as long as possible. And then we'll put together our teams when you're 15 years old, we'll put together our super teams and play in, in TV Pokken and, and all of those things, but we don't want to do it when you're 12. We don't need you driving 45 minutes through um, Gothenburg traffic each way just to get to a practice because you're doing the same practices at home and he's in a small club. So he gets to play all different positions and he gets to play different age groups. Um, this is one of the, the key differences between North American hockey and, and European hockey is our rosters are not set for the season. I, I basically have 20 kids or 30 kids and we have a triple a game this weekend I'm going to pick 15 to go. And, and three of them might say no because they're going skiing. And I'm like, great, you go skiing. That gives those three kids a, an opportunity. Let's go. And now I still have my 15 players going to a AAA game. But I didn't have to worry about all of the, the roster regulations and all of that. Well, that's what Rasmus Dalin did. And then he gets to Frolanda and they're like, we need a defenseman. And he goes, I guess I'm a defenseman.
1: That's, that's a lot of fun. I, I love that, and it's obviously easier in North America with the House League, and I know some programs that are trying to get to this point. I don't know about the AAA yeah. programs, but basically, like, no set yeah. rosters. Like, just, you know, we'll figure it out as we go. And sometimes, like, do you want to put a kid on a stacked team? How do you want to, like, shift things around? Like, you could do some cool development stuff by right. shifting around, because now you're talking about getting into the perception of speed, how kids can manipulate. Yeah. Are they below at or above the speed of the game mentally? All of that stuff. Exactly. Uh, very, yes. very, very interesting.
2: Um, so, I, so my, my, th- my goal with the position thing, I want to give my U 16 coach a, a hockey player. So I don't want to make them hockey playing, players. We make hockey players. I don't make left wing grinders for your third line. I make a hockey player. And then when he gets to U16, maybe he's the best left-wing grinder that, that we have uh, in this age group. Great. Fantastic. But I'm not going to decide that when he's 13 or 14 years old. Um, the yeah. kids well, might come to me and say, I want more time playing defense. And I say, yes. But I still want you to play offense a couple of times. And they're like, okay. So it's, it's all compromise and communication and, and relationship building and and all of that. And I, I have other kids who have said, I don't ever want to play that position. And I say, well, ever is a long time. So I'm going to ask you to do it a couple times, um, but I'm not going to force you to do it every single time just because I know you don't want to. I'm going to ask you to do it a, a couple times, and and hopefully we can work this out. So.
1: Yeah. And, and role is relative to exactly the situation. So yes, you don't want to pigeonhole a role just because of a certain situation. So I'll, I'll and, throw that out
2: there. And again, the re like I've said before, I'm, I'm going to be aware of the context. I'm going to be aware of the environment. We're going to a top tier tournament. That's not the time to try new positions. Um. We're in a, a, a series of exhibition games. Guess what? New lines every game, new positions every game, because if we win or lose these games, we are still playing on Sunday. But like the, the USA Hockey Nationals just finished off. I guarantee you that the, the U14 AAA defenseman played defense every single game that entire tournament. Because he was on a U14 AAA team, and his and probably the, the, the Tier 2 kids as well. This is my position. And granted, stuff happens during a game, so you have to cover and all of that kind of stuff. But the lineup was, Greg, you're one of our best defensemen. This tournament, we're going for the USA Hockey National Championship. You're playing defense every game. You never have to think about it. Yep. So um, I get it.
1: Going way back, I just want to pull one thing out of what you said, because I, I think it's very important. Hour ago.
2: Okay, let's go.
1: Yes. Um, taking the kid out of the drill while the drill continues. Um, so I just want to specify that. So it's not, we stop, load the entire practice down, talk to one kid, maybe some other kids overhear us, and we're wasting ice time. It's as the drill continues. I, I think that's a powerful thing for coaches, parents, players, etc., to understand yeah. About how this operates and the logistics of it, because so we can talk about oh, this is great, but how do we logistically make it happen? Because once you talk about theory, well, now we need to apply it. So I think that's that's a key element uh, that needs to be set.
2: the The biggest mistake that I've caught myself doing in this process is pulling that kid out, but not pulling him away from the space of the drill, because I'm starting to talk about the you know hey, you're in the slot area. When you and I'm standing in the slot area, which the next kid in the drill needs to use that slot area to complete the drill. So I have caught myself. This is another big thing that I'm working on. Is I need to be able to help the kid know the space that I'm talking about without actually occupying that space. Um, so when I when I pull them out and and we're we're talking, I'm, I'm pulling them a meter away. I'm pulling them three feet away from the line of the repetition of the kids going next, kids going next. And now I have to sit there and I have to point, okay, when you're in that area, what are you seeing? What are we trying to accomplish? What's the, what's the solution we're trying to have? Uh, So that's another piece of this whole puzzle is I'm working with an individual finishing an individual rep of an individual drill that he had his solution for that drill, whether it worked or didn't work. He had his solution and we're trying to dive deep into helping him either come up with different solutions or understand the spacing that he was in. Hey, your solution worked, but it would have worked better if you um, pulled it away by a foot or two or, or a meter or whatever. Um, and so it's, it's being aware of the context of the drill and what are we really trying to accomplish in the drill? I have drills that are simply rep drills. I just want you to get rep after rep after rep. Um, they're they're basic um, passing, skating, shooting drills. Uh, like I said, it's a it's a closed drill. I want you to get the feel of pivoting forward, backward while you're catching passes. Question I don't for you? Need...
1: Yeah. Should we be doing closed drills during warm ups for games?
2: Oh, thank you for bringing this up. Yes. This was this, um, here's my out of the box thinking and I'm going to credit. I I uh, feel like you
1: and I are very similar in this thought process.
2: Um, I'm going to credit Kenny Rausch, uh, was a, a USA hockey, uh, youth director. Um, and more
1: importantly, an ex hockey IQ podcast guest as well.
2: There you go. Uh, he uh, won a, a college championship back in the day and he's, he's very active. Um, his wife is very active in lacrosse. Um, they are, um, they are challenging thinkers and I like it. They, they've made, he was one of the ones that I talked about with the icing rule, um, just challenging me on, on how I'm thinking. So we were talking one day and he's like, why, why do we do static, uh, I call it the McDonald's drill, the, the golden arches. I skate out of the corner over the top of the circle, catch a pass from the other side. And we just keep looping and looping and looping. Um, and half the passes are missed. And the ones that are caught, the shot is wide and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, how does that get them ready for games? What is it that we're trying to do? You know, We're trying to get them game ready. And what do a lot of the kids do on their own nowadays? They go kick a, a, a soccer ball, a football around, and they they play the the, the game where they have to keep it in the air after one bounce or, or whatever. Um, and they do that as part of their warmup. And, and so that's a, um, a multi-solution activity and it's competitive and, and they sweat and they get in inside of it and we took it to the ice. And so I've gone out on the ice uh, with my teams and half the teams will be wearing their game jerseys and the other half will leave their game jersey on the bench. And we only have a, a three or four minute warmup. So we have shirts and skins and we'll play a one goal, uh, blue line tag up game of, you know, three on three or four on four, which works so much better than doing the, the three on two regroup uh, static pre game three on two drill. I can get the regroup in there. I can get the, the, the tag up. I can get the, uh, all of the different things, the line changes, the, Gapping up, whatever, the gapping up, all of that. I can get in that the passing, the skating, the quick turning, all of that. I can get all of that in this three or four minutes of just playing a a basic three on three or four on four, um, or, or games with jokers and passing boards. Um, so you got to pass to that guy who gives it back. Uh, you can get all of that done. And my question is why not? Why, why do we need to just skate around? Um, Finland it's actually uh this year has been harder I I can't really get any of that done because we get one or two minutes maximum warm up maybe if the Zamboni gets off on time if um all of that stuff and we might not even get pucks on the ice. Um so we just everybody just skates around and lollygags, gags but I try to do some type of competition before we get on the ice to get that that juice going. So yeah, so why not play small games on on the ice before practices or before games. Why not?
1: There's a reason why the NCAA no longer allows two nets for a team for warm-ups. Because a yeah. <laughs> college coach, I forget who, I'm trying to remember the name, actually used to do this back honestly, in the 70s or 80s. He'd literally have two nets and they would play small area, a small area game before, and then they outlawed it because there's too much of an uproar.
2: Was that University of Minnesota? It may have been. I don't remember.
1: I'm really oh. blanking on it right now. But it was amazing. And I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, if okay. I could do that, I would 100% put out there two nets, throw on a constraint of the day, yep. and do that for five, ten minutes.
2: When, when I was in Norway, I was actually um, friendly with, uh, very friendly with the, the rink people and the Zamboni drivers. And I was able to do that um, two or three times where I had two nets pregame on, on my side of the ice. And the other Watch team was like – so what are you guys doing? It's like, we're playing a little game here. So excellent.
1: It's a lot of fun. Um, I yeah. love the Rondo personally. That's, that's my favorite game to use. Uh, I know yes. skating's not there, but I feel like every other element is in that game. Um, and the deception, he, the mind yeah. gets going. So I'd rather break a mental sweat and warm ups than anything else. Like you're going to get hit and you'll get the physical warm up, but I really want to get the brain going decision-making. Yes
2: and you can you can modify your rondos so that there is more skating there is movement um depending on what what version of your rondo you're doing so
1: yeah i always try to give the goalie time so like i I do like the old montreal only with rondos so instead of passing circles we're doing rondos we'll let the goalie get used to his crease and crease movements some guys aren't interested in that and they just want to feel a puck they can hang out in the neutral zone but exactly like you said giving autonomy allowing them to do things but really try to Break a mental
2: sweat more than anything. Yep, and and that autonomy is is huge nowadays. These these kids were in a uh, an era right now where there's not enough autonomy given to our children. Um, for whatever reason, there's it's... there's absolutely important reasons why why our society has moved this way. But I think it's it's also detrimental to our kids.
1: I I coach a lot of high school and college kids, and I will say. I don't know what to call it. Sometimes I want to call it over protectionism. Okay. Um, don't do it's rather than explaining the why it's like, don't do this, don't do that. So all these kids have the, I can't do this. I can't do that stuck in Correct. their mind. And it creates yeah. a lot of problems down the road, uh, yeah. that are very hard to solve rather than the kids that are like, Oh, I just run out in the street and play with my friends. Yeah. yeah not exactly looked up upon, uh, nowadays, but that was completely the norm, uh, a mere thirty years ago,
2: and and I'm watching uh, TikToks of of proud parents saying, "My my 19 year old's first time calling to make an appointment at the doctor's office," and I'm like, "You're proud of this as and and you can hear the parent coaching this 19 year old through answering all the questions the doctor has, like what what day is best." Cause the 19 year old's like, what do you mean? What day is best? And the mom's like, well, you work on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So not Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And I'm like, Oh my God. And you know, 13 year olds, this is the first time a, a 13 my 13 year old has gone into the store and, 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 you know, ordered his own fast food. Now, granted, I'm I'm generalizing because I know that there's, uh, specific things to be proud of when, um, depending on the the type of child you have, the the situation your child is in. Um, so I want to be careful what I'm saying. I'm I'm grossly generalizing, but I'm just shaking my head. And I and I must say I love the videos when you when you give the kid the the rotary phone and ask him to make a phone call and they have no idea. And I'm like, okay, that's where technology has gone. That's funny. So
1: I was laughing yeah. like. Humans are the exact same, it's just a matter of what technology they've been given. Yeah. The, the kids today act the exact same as kids many years ago. They have more technology at their
2: fingertips. Yep. And, and I feel like I'm the, the old person that I no longer know how to set the VCR clock. It's like, okay, <laughs> it, some kid throws me some, some app and they're like, see what this can do. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're doing. How are you doing that? How yeah, are for, you? you know, sor- sorcery over here. Exactly. Oh, no. oh, but, oh, but, you, you, you kids and you're, you're high- high technology so it's good yes
1: so i will uh i guess i'm gonna hope I mean, we could go on for so much longer but i, I think yeah, we need yeah. to end it at some point and i think this might be a good spot uh this i'm, is gonna, good. I'm gonna say one little thing and i'll give you two minutes to say anything you want but i would just uh, encourage more autonomy within kids uh whether it be coaching parenting etc etc uh earlier a lot of times is better um especially if you do it in a controlled environment before i have yeah. to get the kids. A- college and have to literally teach them how to become a human being uh, would be much appreciated on my end. But nonetheless, uh, more autonomy uh, is better. Teach these kids to call the doctor at age 17 and coach them through then rather than at age 19 when they're out of the house and they're calling you every
2: two seconds. The easiest way to do that is to give them choices. And the easiest choices are the either or choices, meaning guys, we're going to play a small game today do you want to play the Royal road game or do you want to play the high man game? And that is the start of this autonomy because they feel, Hey, I made this decision. Well, guys, coaches, they didn't really make a decision. You were playing a game. You just gave them the choice of how are we, you know, what are the rules of this game? What are the constraints we're going to use? And you build them up that way. And, and that's so important that that they feel like they have ownership of this stuff. Because it's their game. We're just there as guides. We're just there as, as, as helping them understand, a, a, an adult level of this kid's game. So when they get to be college players, we want them to have this ability to make these decisions. Well, how do we do that? Unless we give them decisions that they're allowed to make.
1: Uh, I like that. You know, you just gave me an idea if I ever create a hockey company, uh, I really screwed up my naming. Now, now, now I think about it, it's <laughs> going to be Sherpa Hockey.
2: Oh, nice! The guide, yeah, guide. I like that. Um, T- taking you to the highest levels. It's not Sweet. always about
1: the highest levels, but uh, there's there's more. I mean, Chris Cella is playing men's league these days. I hear so. Apparently, you cannot play at the highest level forever.
2: Everybody, everybody retires into the beer leagues. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So Dave, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Absolutely. Minutes, thank you for having me want to talk
1: about. Please fill us with goodness. Otherwise we'll oh, uh, end it here and come on back another day.
2: Nice. Well, the, the thing that I will, uh, that I'll say to all the coaches, the, the best thing that has happened to me is I had other coaches open my eyes to different ways of thinking, um, different ideas coming in, um, if we are always surrounding ourselves by people who think the same way that we think, then we will never grow in our thinking. Um, so I try to follow as many divergent thinkers as I possibly can, uh, cause I never know where I'm going to get ideas from, whether it be, um, you know, following Kenny Rausch and, and getting ideas from him on, on how hockey can be done or, uh, Mike Boyle with strength and conditioning um, or uh, Nancy Burgraf with her skating versus Laura Stam with her skating versus Anatoly Buliga completely different things and and when you when you listen to all of these people and you start creating your own ideas from that that's where the magic happens uh, so when when you see a drill don't just do the drill do the reason behind the drill because maybe the drill is wrong for the reason that you want, but the drill is a really cool drill. Um, you know, the game is the, the colored pucks. Nobody says that orange has to be Gretzky for you. Orange can be anything you want orange to be. Um, it just happened to make sense for me and what I'm trying to teach. Um, so take my ideas, take, you know, take the ideas that are coming from uh, hockey IQ, take the ideas that are coming from uh, Ted Suikinen, and make them your own, but make sure you're open to taking all of these ideas. Um, the the worst thing that I've ever done is not listened to somebody.
1: Everyone's an example, good or bad. Uh, I good have my bad. anti-coach up in Cleveland uh, that I do the exact opposite of whatever he's doing. He's,
2: <laughs> Which he's, means
1: he's that a, he's he's a fine, kind young gentleman. Uh, yeah. Maybe not young, but an old older young kind gentleman. There you go. And, uh, yeah, I, I, have my anti-mentor,
2: but that's an inspiration. It's a, it's a D inspiration, but it's an inspiration. It's, it's challenging you to, to see what you can do differently and better, which I love. I'm, I'm the same way. So just make sure you listen to him. So, you know, where, where his ideas are so that when you do go the opposite direction, you know what you're basing it on. Yes. That's everyone's fantastic. a learning opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. I might not agree with you, but I will listen to you most of the time. I try. I'm still. I'm still a learning in progress person too. Uh, but this has been great. As Thank we always you so are. much. For, exactly. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I'm going to look forward to listening to to myself talk and and when you get this posted.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, you're definitely a, someone who thinks outside of the box and in the uh, correct direction, as I say. It's uh, the vector uh, from despicable me. It's direction nice. and magnitude. I so like uh, thank you again for coming on. Really appreciate you taking the time here. And I know you've got to run to the brink. So are you probably already at the rink, but have to get on
2: the exactly. a
1: surface. So uh, thanks for Great. again taking the time. I know it's not easy to connect when uh, I'm in North America, you're over in Finland and large, large time change. Exactly. Great. Thanks. Take care.
0: That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch your buttes here next week for a brand new episode.